Two weeks ago, our son Andrew was in town from college, and he brought with him a friend who'd never been to Charleston before. And so Andrew showed him around some of the highlights of downtown, some of the key historic locations. But then the following day, we all piled into the car and drove out to Sullivan's Island. We wanted him to see a real South Carolina beach. We drove out to the end of the island, out near Fort Moultrie, parked our car. And before heading out to the beach, we decided to spend a few moments there on Battery Jasper, which sits adjacent to Fort Moultrie and is part of that national park complex. Sullivan's Island actually has six abandoned batteries, but this particular battery, Battery Jasper, because it's part of that national park area system, is, um, has all sorts of signs and placards throughout the, the grounds to help you understand and imagine and picture what life would have looked like when it was fully operational. Now, if you've ever been on any of those batteries out there on Sullivan's Island, you know that they are kind of spooky places. They're the sorts of places where your imagination can begin to, to go wild. And, and as I was reading these various signs and imagining, you know, what life would have, been, would have looked like, my imagination started to go. Now, it was about a week and a day since the surprise attack by Hamas, so I think that was probably on my mind as I was there on, on, on Battery Jasper, in the back of my mind anyway. And I just began to imagine what it would have been like as we stood there on this now completely bare and unarmed battery. All the battlements have been long since taken off. But if we were to stand there on that unarmed battery, what it would be like if we were to see enemy ships on the horizon coming to mount a surprise attack. Now, after a few moments, my rational mind kicked in and I realized no ship could get within 2,000 miles of that shoreline without us knowing that it, um, that it would happen. So I was reassured by that. But then I got to thinking about all those German U-boats that came within spitting distance of our shoreline during World War II. And that got me thinking again. Um, I, I also got to thinking about another beachhead that was unarmed and unprepared for invasion. Those German U-boats got me to thinking about the German Christian church during the rise of the Nazi party. How was it possible for the wicked specter of anti-Semitism and, and all that the Nazi party stood for, how was it possible for that to storm the beachhead of the German Christian church? It was as if the church had been completely unprepared to stand against the onslaught of these anti-Christ ideologies, which completely took over the very body which should have been able to stand against them. The church whose Lord said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. How did the church, whose Lord taught this, find itself completely defenseless against the wickedness of the Nazi party and all that it stood for? Now, I realize that this is a very heavy topic for a Sunday morning. Um, 
Not only that, but it's a feast day of the church. It's All Saints Sunday. This is one of the great feast days of the church, and we're about to have two baptisms, an occasion for great celebration. But friends, we cannot bury our heads in the sand. We live in a moment in time where the wicked specter of anti-Semitism and other extremist ideologies and all manner of hatred and ungodliness are mounting their forces on the shoreline of the church. And the question for us here today is, will we, as the church, be ready? Or will we be caught unawares once again? Will we stand like Battery Jasper stands today, or will we be armed and ready to repel the forces of that great spiritual enemy whom our Lord Jesus himself referred to as the father of lies? It's this question. The readiness of the church to stand against the wiles of the devil, that's what was consuming Paul's mind as he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. Now, here in chapter 1 that we heard a moment ago, Paul is not yet using any kind of military imagery, but it's certainly the trajectory of the letter. Some of you will be familiar with the latter part of this letter, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that's where Paul is headed But here in chapter 1, Paul is laying the foundation of what we need in order to be ready. Picking up at verse 16, Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. Now, Paul goes on to identify three things which he recognizes that we need to know. But before we can even look at those three things, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that that if the people of the German Christian church had known the Lord of the church, if they had known the heart of the one who said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you think that if they had known him, truly known our Lord Jesus, would they have been susceptible to the madness of the Nazi party? You see, Paul recognizes we have a need to know. We are on a need-to-know basis. We have a need to grow in our knowledge, and not just book knowledge, facts and figures. No, Paul is speaking from a Jewish perspective. He is speaking as one who was raised in and would have been steeped in the Jewish understanding of what it means to know. It's It's a deep, personal kind of knowing. Let me put it this way. Let's say I had a very important assignment. And I came to you and I said, hey, I've got this very important assignment. I need to find someone that we can trust. Who's someone you trust? And if you said to me, well, I trust Tom. Tom, Tom's your man. Tom's who you want for this assignment. And if I were to say to you, okay, well, well I just, I'd like to know a, little, know a little something about Tom. Tell me about Tom. 
Now, you would tell me about some of Tom's attributes, but after a while, what you would really move on to to help convince me was you would share with me your experience of Tom. If I asked you for someone who is trustworthy, you wouldn't give me someone you just met. You wouldn't give me the name of an acquaintance. You would give me the name of someone you know, really and truly know. That's the kind of knowing that Paul is talking about. That's the kind of knowing he recognizes we need. It's this kind of knowledge that will transform us as the church from a battery jasper that stands defenseless on the shoreline to a church that is prepared to push back against all manner of evil that threatens to invade it. Now, friends, I, I say this to you with, with, with deep care and concern. We are not ready. We are not prepared. I've been teaching the foundations class, it's our newcomer class, for nearly 10 years. I teach it twice a year. And every time I go in to teach another session, another semester, I say my prayers and I say, Lord, how can I tweak these talks, shape them, mold them, fashion them to meet the spiritual needs of the persons who are going to be in front of me in this next semester? So every semester I'm, you know, working on those talks, shaping them, forming them. When I first started teaching this class 10 years ago, I included all sorts of information about the Anglican church. After all, many of the persons who are taking the class are new to the Anglican tradition. And I love sharing about the Anglican church. I love teaching people about the lectionary and the church calendar and the colors that we use. I love sharing the traditions of the Anglican church. But friends, I quickly learned that there was a dire need to go back to the basics. See, I'd been making all sorts of assumptions about what I thought everybody knew. But I began to discover that that old adage about what happens when you assume, do you know that old adage? Well, I'm not going to say it from the pulpit, but there's something that happens when you assume. Well, I began to realize that adage is true. I cannot make assumptions about what anyone might know about the Lord of the church. Friends, those of us who grew up in the church, we, we can be the worst offenders when it comes to assuming that we already know what we need to know about the Lord of the church. Reminds me of an experience I had in college. I went to college having grown up in the church. I'd been a member of several Bible studies in high school. I'd even been to this thing called Sunday school a couple of times. I thought, what class can I take to help my sagging GPA? What, 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 would, what would be an easy course? I thought to myself, I'll take a New Testament course. I could sleep through that course and, and ace it. Well, let me tell you that on the first day of class, the professor had not made it through the first 15 minutes of his lecture when I began to get a sinking realization of how little I knew. And worse than that, it became clear that the professor and I, we were not on the same page about the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I was totally defenseless against his arguments. He rolled over me like a panzer tank. 
Sometimes those of us who grew up in the church, we, we rest on the assumption that we have already arrived, that we already have a full and complete knowledge of the God of the Bible. But friends, we do not. And if we do not begin to prepare, if we fail to recommit ourselves to knowing on the deepest level the Lord of the church, then just as I was unprepared for that professor, just as the German Christian church was defenseless against the wickedness of the Nazi ideology that rolled right over it, we too will be defenseless against the wiles of the devil and his unrelenting quest to make the church impotent, or worse than that, to use the church for his own ends. Now again, I realize this is a heavy message for a Sunday morning. This is a heavy message for an All Saints Sunday. This is a heavy message for a baptism Sunday. <laughs> but here's where things start to look up. How do we arm the church against the wiles of the devil? We arm ourselves with the knowledge of who God is. We arm ourselves with the good news of his unfailing love and provision. The Apostle Paul commends to us three things that we need to know, that you need to know, so that we might stand armed against the enemy. Again, returning to verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Calling, inheritance, power. Friends, I pray that you might know the hope of God's call on your life. He has called you to become his child, his son, his daughter. To enter into a relationship with him. To learn how to receive his forgiveness. To draw strength from him. To learn how to receive guidance from him. God calls you to stand in the hope that can only come from knowing deep down in your bones that you are God's child. With this knowledge of the hope to which he has called you, you will be able to repel the devil in all of his schemes. That you may know, I pray, what is the hope to which he has called you. Number two, I pray as well with Paul that you might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In a moment at the announcements, Jeff is going to read the names of all the members of our extended family who have died in the past year. Now, for some of you, that will be an occasion for tears, and understandably so. Uh, we miss those who have gone before. But we do this every year on All Saints Sunday. We read those names out, not, not to bring forth tears of sadness, but as a reminder that those saints are more alive today than they ever were on this earth. The Bible uses the word saint to refer to all believers. 
And as the name of, names of those saints are read aloud, it's important that you engage your imagination and to picture them in the presence of God where they are experiencing a kind of joy that they have never experienced before. That joy which one day will be yours when you see God face to face and he wipes away every tear from your eyes. That's your inheritance. That is a promise from God. An inheritance that no one can take away. With this knowledge of this glorious inheritance which cannot be taken away, you will be able to repel the wiles of the devil and all of his schemes. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Thirdly and finally, I pray as well with Paul that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This summer, Ellen and I had the privilege of serving as chaperones on a youth mission trip to West Virginia. I realize that might not sound like a privilege, but it was a privilege. Truly, it was. Students from all over the United States descended on this little burned-out West Virginia town. We stayed in an abandoned schoolhouse, and each day we went out to various work sites where we worked on people's homes. Each day on the work site, we faced challenges that none of us had ever faced before. Like one day, we ripped up this woman's entire floor in a room because it had been completely eaten apart by termites. We pulled that floor up. There's the dirt exposed there in her bedroom. And we've got to figure out how to lay the floor back down with nothing to nail to. Well, I'll confess that there were times when I thought, how in the world are we going to make this work? We've pulled up this woman's floor, and then, and, you know, in a few days we're going to leave town, and, and she's going to have a dirt floor. We have, I have no idea how to put this thing back. It, it, was, it was a pretty anxious moment. But those students, there were some students from a church in New Jersey, they had this little chant they would say every time we hit a roadblock. Now, when I first heard it, I have to confess, it was kind of an unwelcome distraction. I mean, here I am, you know, the adult on site, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to fix this lady's floor, and they're chanting this chant, and it's distracting me. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 I'm thinking to myself, we got work to do when you're saying this chant. But what finally broke through was the fact that these students said their little chant with such joy and expectation. They were expecting Holy Spirit to show up in power. And guess what? He did. <laughs> I'm pleased to tell you that, that that woman has a floor now in her home. But he showed up. He showed up with insights. He showed up with encouragement. He showed up to renew our strength. He showed up to foster love among us and to bond us together. Friends, there is a power a power for good that is available to the sons and daughters of God. If only we will ask for it. 
a power to stand against the schemes of the devil, a power to do what we cannot do of ourselves, a power to live and love like Christ, who is the Lord of the church, if, again, only we will ask for it. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Make no mistake, the enemy is lurking at the borders of the church. He is mounting his forces just beyond the horizon. So friends, brothers, sisters, let us arm the battery with a deep knowledge of the Lord of the church. For it is in knowing him that we will stand firm against the wiles of the devil. And by his grace and by his provision, we will, by God's grace, prevail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we call out to you in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would grant us the grace to know, to know you. To, the, to know the hope of your call on our lives, to know for a fact our glorious inheritance that awaits us, and to know in the deepest part of our bones that you have a power that you offer to us, a power for good, a power for the purpose of your son, Jesus. Come, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, that indeed we might be a people over whom the Lordship of Jesus reigns. For we ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.